Turn, if you would, in God's Word to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 25, we'll read the whole chapter. Page 376, page 376 in the provided Bibles. Hear now God's word. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death, according to what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by their fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty years old and upward, and found that there were 300 choice men, fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I've given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock and they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but he said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you've done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, see, I've struck down Edom and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies 
because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God in the care of Obed-Edom. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah from first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father... We pray that you would give us a heart to believe, eyes to see, ears to hear, but a heart to believe that which you have spoken in your word for our good now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree here in this account of Judah's kings Joash, another Joash, you may recall from the previous passage, though he seemed faithful as long as he remained under the good influence of the priest Jehoiada, he proved faithless after Jehoiada died. And this is Amaziah's father, this Joash. And so here we see Joash's son also proves only half-heartedly faithful. One was faithful as long as the priest was alive, and then this one is faithful in the beginning, but does not continue. He does not serve God, verse 2 says, with a whole heart. Wilcock notes, sadly, that chapter 25 describes then the outworking of the same pattern that we saw in Joash, that was there in Joash, Amaziah's father, and it does. That's exactly what we see. We see here a period of obedience on the part of Amaziah, obedience and blessing to start with, and afterwards one of disobedience and punishment. Many mistakenly think that all's well that begins well. But as you know, Shakespeare said, and he was right when he did, all's well that ends well. It's not simply making a good beginning. It's continuing on in that all the days of one's life. What is needed here is the commitment and sanctified effort that accompanies saving faith. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. But grace is something that enables us to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep believing, to keep putting to death sin. 
And this passage presents us with a striking picture of Judah's sin, particularly of the futility of her idolatry. And I'd like us to think then about a couple of things as we think about the futility of idolatry. First of all, it springs or it stems from double-mindedness. Idolatry stems from double-mindedness. And then secondly, idolatry searches vainly for fulfillment. Idolatry seeks fulfillment. It wants fulfillment, but it can never find what it seeks for. Well, first of all, then we say, idolatry, as we see in the passage before us, stems from double-mindedness, that Amaziah was double-minded, not firmly fixed on or committed to God, God and His Word. It's evident from verse 2. It says there, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Let's focus, first of all, on that first part. Amaziah did do, for some time, what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was not simply unrelievedly wicked to begin with. What he did in verses 3 and 4, especially 3, may indicate some undue vengeance on his part, as verse 12 also suggests. But Amaziah's killing those who were involved with his father's death, that's described there, was within his legal rights to do so. As you look at the whole history of Israel's kings, you might say it was perhaps a savvy move on his part. He clearly follows Moses' law by sparing the children, since it's clear in Deuteronomy 24, 16, quoted here, that each shall die for his own sin. That's also observed in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18. The soul that sins, it shall die. The father shall not die for the son. The son shall not die for the father. But each is answerable and responsible for his own sin. And so you see, God provides for justice. We see that even in the lex talionis, the law of retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's justice, the law of equivalency. Uh, Of course, if, if someone takes out our eye or our tooth, we want to kill them, if we're honest, in the flesh. We don't want a measured response, but God orders a, re- a measured response, not simply spite or vengeance. And so here we see Amaziah observing that measured response. And so because of that and perhaps other obedience, that is other instances of what verse 2 says that, that aren't in front of us, of doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord... God granted Amaziah much victory. God blessed Amaziah for his obedience here. That's seen throughout the section in verses 5 to 13. Amaziah obeyed God even when he was approached by the prophet and was challenged. Recall Amaziah had 300,000 choice men of Judah and Benjamin. Now Judah and Benjamin, that's the southern kingdom, that's there in Jerusalem. It's over against the the northern ten tribes. And so he had 300,000 men there in Judah and Benjamin. And he said, well, let me get some more. And so he he paid some money, a hundred talents of silver. And he secured a hundred thousand soldiers from Israel more broadly. And God sends a man to say, don't do that. They're idolaters. I mean, they're taken into captivity in 722 B.C. and then the southern kingdom will be taken in 586. But God is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Leave that alone. 
and he obeys. He doesn't do it, uh, though it cost him a hundred talents of silver. That's about, I've, I've figured this a, a number of times, it's hard to come up with exactly. It's about 7,500 pounds of silver, 120,000 ounces, if they're not troy ounces, uh, which the equivalent today would be somewhere between hundreds of millions and perhaps a few billion dollars. This is a significant chunk of change. This is a good piece of money. And he protests that. When he says, don't go with 100,000, he protests as a good Scotsman might, I'm a Scotsman, or a good Dutchman might, saying, but I paid for it. I paid all this money. I think somebody said, amen, I want to come challenge you. No amen there whatsoever. I don't care what you paid for it. It's unrighteous. You don't do it. Well, this could cost me. If you're going to come to Christ and believe in Christ, it's going to cost you everything anyway. You have to lose your own life too. The gospel says, give it all up. Let it go. And the prophet comes, the man of God says to him, he gives him this wonderful word, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Let the hundred thousand go together with a hundred talents of silver. Just let it go. Let it go. And unless you, and until you just let it all go, you know, it cost him everything to live and die for you. And in one sense, then it costs you nothing because it's, it's a free gift. But it's a gift you never receive without giving it all up. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And here's the word that comes to you this morning. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. That's a wonderful promise. Remember this. This is why you don't need to to pursue anything outside of His will, like this alliance with the the brutal Israelites were. You can see how brutal they were from verse 13. They went after Judah. But this is to say to you, you don't need money ill-gotten. You don't need reputations propped up by lies, an inflated resume or CV. You don't need sexual relations outside of marriage. You don't need alcohol or illegal drugs to escape the pain. You don't need endless Amazon purchases. Or the respectable sins of which Jerry Bridges speaks. A lot of times we'll say, well, I don't do all these terrible things that preachers talk about. Do you gossip ever? Slander? Think ill in your heart of others? Now, yes. Now we're getting there for all of us. He desires the truth within, Psalm 51 tells us. We often will talk about comfort food, that when we're distressed, when we're lonely or tired, we like some comfort food. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But we often have comfort sins. Things we turn to rather than the Lord. It could just be materialism of some sort. And that's what I mean by the Amazon purchases. Where do you gain your comfort? Where do you get your joy? You can't look to any of... We prayed, I prayed about Him being the giver of every good and perfect gift. But what is idolatry? Idolatry is looking to any gift. Idolatry is not just doing terrible sin. It's looking to God's good gifts. It's looking to your wife, looking to your husband for what you should only look to the Lord for. 
the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Hear verse 9 and all your temptations to look anywhere other than Christ. Amaziah verse 2 says, Did all these right things, not with a whole heart. 2 Kings 14.4, the parallel says explicitly about his reign. But the high places in Amaziah's reign were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, which is to say that the people worshipped other gods than Yahweh. They were idolaters. James 1.7 speaks of this when he says what he does about a double-minded man. He's, a double-minded man is one is, who of two, uh, is of two minds, torn between God and the world, unstable in all his ways. This is one who doubts God's goodness. He doesn't believe, verse 9, that God is able to give you all this and much more. No, I've got to get, I've got to hold. I've got to hold on to my idols because that's what's keeping me afloat. That's what's helping me. Perhaps I haven't named, you don't think, well, you hadn't put your finger on it. Well, I'm putting it on it now. You need to apply this to your own life because if you don't see how this applies, talk to your elders, talk to your pastor. Say, help me to see the shape of idolatry in my life that I might repent of it because we're either embracing idols or we're repenting of it. That's what Paul, he commends the Thessalonians for turning to God from idols to receive the living and true God. But an unstable man, a a double-minded man, is unstable in all his ways. It's one who doubts God's goodness. Such a one, James says, must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. No man may serve two masters, Jesus says. God and mammon. You can't serve God in this world. It's an inherently unstable position. It's like standing... You know, when you were a kid, you could play Twister. But, you know, us older people, if we try to play Twister, we we might hurt ourselves. We might pull something. But there's that instability. This is how you need to stand like this. But the double-minded man is in some terrible Twister sort of position. He's unstable. He's tottering. He's not firm. Verse 14 makes clear what Amaziah did. He conquered the Edomites, but not their gods. Rather, he became captive to these gods and he worshipped them. Solomon says that Amaziah's achievement, which is seen in the aftermath of his victory, so he has this victory over Edom, right? He achieves great things, but it seems to bring out the worst in him. You know, sometimes I talked about comfort sins and how when we're distressed, how when we're tired or other kinds of things, we may look to, to things in the creation rather than the Creator, But it also occurs on the other end. Sometimes we just like, we've had a great victory. We think everything's going well. Well, This is fantastic. And we forget God. And we start looking to things. I remember reading about one of the older writers a couple centuries ago. He was in worship and he said it was the most magnificent worship. And he felt as if I could never love God or my fellow man, my neighbor so much. He was so full of the love of God. And he leaves the worship and he's driving along uh, in his, he's pulling a wagon uh, and somebody comes in from a side road and cuts him off, literally, a single horse rider. And his horse goes up and it's a horse with a bad leg and goes down hard. And he's really ticked off by this guy. I mean, getting cut off in road rage isn't something new. 
It's happened a long time. And this man who had just been worshiping with God's people, he spurs his horses on. He finds himself because he's going after this guy. And he's, he's, he's reaching for, with his left hand for the whip. And he's going to teach him a lesson with the whip. That's the way they would do it back then. And it just, he, he was like, what am I doing? I was just worshiping God. I was just so full of love of my neighbor. And here, this happens and I'm full of rage. We can turn on a dime, can't we? We need to die to sin. To die to this idolatry. And what you see, what you see uh, Amaziah do is he turns to idolatry, verses 14 and 15, to persecution of the righteous, verse 16, to revenge, verse 17, to immovable in his sin, intransigence, verses 16 to 20, pride, verse 19, and apostasy, verse 27. It all stems from, it springs from his being double-minded, not serving God with a whole heart. Well, that's our first point. And the second continue some of these considerations, but I want us to think about how futile idolatry is in its search for fulfillment. It searches for and cannot find fulfillment. The world is looking for fulfillment. The world is looking for love in all the wrong places. It's looking for happiness. It's looking for joy. It's no, it's no surprise that, that if you look at the top selections of popular music, what they are. One of the top selection of popular musics for, for decades has been and still is, if you look at Rolling Stone or places that, that, that chronicle this, Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction. That's where idolatry leads you. Can't get no satisfaction. That's what we see. Maybe you're captive to such idolatry today. Some are captive as those who have never come to Christ. Some people are captive because they've never come to the Lord. There's really no double-mindedness there because you're just full-on committed to self, to whatever pleases your physical, sexual, emotional, and material appetites. No care really for God and others. You're given over to the seven deadlies, to pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. You're given over to idols like control and power, comfort, acceptance. There may be those listening who are in such a case. There may be those here. But many, many here and listening, on the other hand, are believers who are struggling with idols. Calvin says our minds are idol factories. Our minds are idol factories. Always producing such. That's why we're either repenting of them or we're embracing them. And John, this is so remarkable, the the very important first epistle of John, and it's important for many, many reasons. But that first epistle ends with a remarkable statement. I know many of you are thinking about it. Maybe you were anticipating it. I know you know your Bible. And what does first John at the end say? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, John wouldn't say that if he didn't understand that it was a challenge. John isn't wasting breath. He's not saying, I'm telling you not to do something that I know none of you are tempted to do. No, he knows the struggle. And he says, keep yourselves from idols. 
keep yourselves from what Jeremiah called the broken cisterns that can't hold water. All of us are double-minded if we're not properly dying to sin, if we're stalled in sanctification. Maybe we're, we're just so busy, maybe we're not going to church or going very infrequently, maybe we're not really reading the Bible, we're not seeking God in prayer, we're just cold, we're stalled, we're not loving God or neighbor. I just, I just had a car pass me coming here that the license plate said something, but it said angry. And you're thinking, well, you know, you know you're just kind of keeping your distance from this person. I mean, you, get, you see enough angry people as there are to somebody to actually proclaim it on their license plate is <laughs> something you... How lamentable. But a lot of people are that. We have a lot of these things. When we're not walking with the Lord... This is true of the best of us, whoever that is, in the flesh. Dillard said, the author's call, the chronicler's call here for exclusive loyalty to to Yahweh and trust in God alone is prominent, both in the condemnation of Amaziah's idolatry and in the rejection of dependence on mercenaries in warfare. Israel is to be exclusively loyal in its covenant with the Lord, but... Adam was not in the covenant of works. Adam was called to obey in the garden, and he didn't. Nor did Israel typically, in the Old Testament dispensation, Dillard also says, rightly so, it is the office of the Old Testament to fail. Because we see here that David failed. And not just Saul, but David. Amaziah failed. One person after person failed. And we fail in our own lives, don't we? It's not just, well, we're in the new covenant. No more failure whatsoever. No, what we're thankful for, we give thanks to God for, is one who was exclusively and entirely covenantally faithful. We're not. Our fathers were not faithful. We're not faithful. We're grateful for our Lord Jesus Christ. Unbeliever and believer come to God by Him and Him alone. You see, think of it this way, two things. There was not even a hint of double-mindedness with Jesus. We think of our own double-mindedness. Jesus served the Father for us in His living and dying with a whole undivided heart. Just think how He was focused on what was before Him. For the joy that lay before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. And he would cry out, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But he kept his focus. Friends, I realize that we live in a world more than ever before of distractions. It used to be when you would go outside your home, you had lots of distractions. You've got them right there on your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You've got, uh, in a sense, the whole world at your fingertips. You've got Amazon ready at all times. You know? It's amazing. It's very convenient. There's lots of good things we can say about it, and there's tons of bad things. If you don't see the bad things, you need to, you need to start thinking more. If you don't see what a temptation this is. And you say distractions. Yes, Distractions. It's very important that you focus on the Lord and you keep your focus on Him. Jesus kept His focus on the Father. 
Thanks be to God that he did. He was eaten up with the zeal of his father's house. And as for idols being futile and not giving satisfaction, Jesus' labor was not in vain. It was not futile, both in his active and passive obedience. He achieved all of his divine purpose in redeeming us. There was no futility there. Everything he intended to accomplish, though it cost him everything for his love for you, he accomplished. He accomplished it. And he wants you and him. You say, okay, I get that. I'm I'm down with that. Success. No, I don't mean success as this world accounts it. I don't mean success as... The commercial world in America accounts it. That means nothing to God in and of itself. I mean, if that's something He blesses you with and you can use that for much good, good. But what He's looking for is faithfulness wherever you are, whatever He's given you, whatever your circumstances. We're far too concerned about our own personal success in terms of worldly measure. What we should be concerned about is being faithful to Jesus wherever He's called us. Walking with Him in humility. Thank God that Jesus was fully devoted. A righteousness that is accounted to us if we trust Christ alone. Salvation accomplished, full and free. We'll back just a moment to Amaziah. When we're double-minded in our divided loyalties. We're rendered fools. You can see that here. Notice the words of the prophet in verse 15 to Amaziah. Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hands? These gods didn't deliver them. Why do you now turn to them as if they could help you? This was interestingly, as Barbara notes, not uncommon. It was a well-established practice in the ancient Near East that the conqueror took the idols of the subjective kingdom so as to leave the vanquished feeling helpless, for their gods were no longer among them. In addition, there's evidence that the kings of pagan lands offered sacrifices to these foreign deities to honor them for being allowed, uh, for having allowed the invading army to vanquish their people. And then there's the belief that if they suitably placated these deities, they, uh, they wouldn't turn on the conquerors. Well, we don't really know what Amaziah's motivation is there. Barbara is talking about some possibilities that exist in that part of the world because this wasn't that uncommon. We don't know what his motivation was, but we know in verse 14 that he committed an act of blatant idolatry that angered the Lord and determine his capture and defeat. How senseless, how useless, how irrational, how futile such idolatry is. Idolatry yields none of the fulfillment it promises and only incurs God's wrath. Sin always promises fulfillment. Sin always promises some measure of happiness, but it never delivers. It has pleasures. I had someone once very piously say to me, well, there's no pleasure whatsoever in sin. And I said, well, of course there is. People wouldn't do it if there's not. But it's a temporary pleasure. It's just a temporary pleasure. It's sort of like an addict taking a drug and he's got to take a stronger one next time. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. It leaves empty. Why do you serve the gods of this world? Money, drink, sex, pleasure, 
These things don't deliver the world. They're not fulfilling to them. I remember hearing years ago when he was at the height of his fame, I think he's had kind of a comeback. But this was back in the 80s when Eddie Murphy was at the height of his fame and he was being interviewed in, I think it was in his Bel Air house by the sea. It was, it was a, quite, a, quite a place. And he said to the interviewer, I was a, a poor kid, I had nothing. And now I, I always wanted to, to have a place like this. I wanted to achieve fame and wealth. And the interviewer says, well, you, you've got everything you want. How, how is it? Are you happy? And he said, I have a hole in my soul. No, I'm not. Because that's not going to do it for you. That's not going to do it for you. You can have fame and, and wealth and pleasure ab- abounding. That doesn't do it for you. These things don't deliver the world. How are they going to deliver you? As Dr. Phil would say in regards to some futile course of action, how's that working for you? How's that sloth? How's that envy? How's that lust? How's that pride? How's that anger working for you? It just doesn't do you any good. My wife, after many years, decades, starts to get through to me. I am getting through. Back to driving. I I gave the driving example because I can relate to, you know, when you're behind the wheel, you, you, you can turn into a different person. And my wife has encouraged me that other drivers don't hear my complaints that it does know, and it, it, it's futile. And I mean, well, it makes me feel good. Well, it make you, we could say all kind of, they're dumb things. They really are. You need to turn to the Lord in these things. You say, well, those are little things. You need to turn to Him in everything. The smallest thing. Or it becomes an idol. Amaziah met the fate of the double-minded, even as his father, faithless Joash, did. Verse 16, he seeks to go after the messenger. And verses 17 to 28, we're not going to talk any more about this, but just to say, long story short, you can read the rest of that. I read it for you. Israel defeats Amaziah. Amaziah comes down to defeat because he was double-minded. He did not trust the Lord with a whole heart. And he found no fulfillment, only futility in all his idolatry. Idolatry, as we say, comes from being double-minded. It searches vainly for fulfillment, but ends in destruction. James 1 gives us the cure. If you lack wisdom, which double-mindedness and idolatry prove, that's a lack of wisdom. Ask God for it. God who gives generously to all. It will, the wisdom that you need to be single-minded and wholehearted, it'll be given you. Ask in faith, believing, not doubting. That's the mark of the double-minded. And you say, well, that's hard to say, hard to do, not doubting. Well, you, 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 have, you have faith in all sorts of things. You have faith in your car as you go out and get in it and leave in a certain measure. I'm asking you to trust God. You know, this isn't one of these, you know, if you can't trust Prestone, who can you trust? Well, I don't know about Prestone, whether you can trust them or not. I'm telling you about the one you can trust. God, if you can't trust Him, who can you trust? Maker of heaven and earth. So I'm not asking you to trust man, to trust something that's never helped. I'm asking you to look to Him. Stop looking to idols and look in faith to Jesus who has redeemed you from all such false gods. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You for this beautiful Word. 
be pleased to take it home to all of our needy, needy hearts. Help us to die to idolatry and to look instead to you, the giver of every good and perfect gift, and to trust Christ with a whole heart. In whose name we pray. Amen.